Hello, I'm Eric Holderman, and this is Disaster Zone, a podcast about emergencies and disasters. Disaster Zone will bring you interviews and commentaries about all aspects of disasters, from what causes them to how people and organizations are dealing with their impact. Today's podcast is being sponsored by Vent Ear Solutions. Most organizations have access to incredibly powerful technologies, but struggle to use them to their full potential. Vent Ear's team of experienced technology and operations professionals systematically help organizations get the most out of the technology they already own. You can find them at www.ventearsolutions.com. In our 21st century workplace and personal lives, technology has dominated and thus cybersecurity has become an ever more important consideration. And privacy is connected to cybersecurity. Yeah, my guest today is Ginger Arbrister, Chief Privacy Officer for the City of Seattle. We'll be discussing the nexus between cybersecurity and privacy. Welcome, Ginger. Thank you, Eric. I'm happy to be here. Yes. On a Friday afternoon, that, even though <laughs> this will air on a Tuesday. <laughs> there we go. You know, All they right. used to say, never buy a car made on a Friday. <laughs> look, <laughs> look at the VIN number. This is, you know, 30, 40 years ago, I guess. The idea was Friday afternoon was not the best time to have a new car roll off the assembly line. But I'm yeah, sure this podcast will be fine. How many car parts are forgotten in that rush for uh, the uh, end of the day? Yeah, no, I, I just had an outdoor table sent to me with uh, a few missing uh, items. So. Oh, no. Okay, so Ginger, why don't you give me just, and uh, our listeners, a little bit on your background, you know, Certainly. so that they understand why they should respect what you have to say. Right? <laughs> I, I, I've heard Ginger talk about this issue, and that's the reason having her on the podcast because I think she's great. So, tell, well, tell us why you're great, Ginger. Why I'm great? Oh my goodness. Well, um, I can say that I have a, a, a background that includes marketing and sales. That was the first 20 years, and then a mid career change to cybersecurity, but uh, through the Cyber Corps, I did a scholarship for service and a master's in infrastructure planning and management uh, at University of Washington. Came to the city. Uh, started as an intern under the CISO. Michael Hamilton was the CISO at okay. the time. And we are acronym free, so you can't use. CISO. Oh my goodness, Chief Information Security Officer. There you go. He was the cybersecurity person at the city, and I came up under him and then made my way through a variety of jobs until uh, I started up our privacy program. I raised my hand one day and uh, somebody was asking about privacy. We needed to build a privacy program, and I helped do that under uh, our Chief Technology Officer, Michael Matt Miller. And then I went off for a couple of years to go experience private sector privacy. I wanted to understand what are the issues that drive privacy from the, from the consumer side. So I went to Microsoft for a couple of years and then came back as a chief privacy officer at the city in 2017. So I've been there ever since building the program we have now. Okay, and, so uh, yeah. this is a trivia question. In yeah. Canada, which is a country to our north, north <laughs> or any Americans don't know where Canada is. Oh dear. Do they say privacy or do they say privacy? 
I hear privacy and I do hear privacy. I think it depends on how close you are to our border. Am I talking to somebody from British Columbia or am I, am I Quebec or somewhere in Toronto? Maybe things are a little different as you get a little east. Okay. All right. <laughs> and what is privacy, privacy in French? Oh my goodness. Uh, the privacy. Uh, goodness. You know, you know, what's funny. It is funny. These terms are, have been created in the age of information technology and a lot of them don't have historical names. Isn't that interesting? That's a whole nother podcast. Okay. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, if it's not in French, the French don't like using English words. They, right? they, they really like to be, yes, got consistent with their own, own language. Yes. <laughs> they probably call it non-public in, in French. Oh my goodness. Now you're going to make me look it up. Now I have to go do look that up. That's going to be something okay. I have to do. All right. Well, listen, when, when COVID-19 pandemic began, yeah, many employees were directed, you know, to work from home. And however, many organizations did not have the devices, computers, phones, or security process to allow employees to work from company devices or home devices, their, their personal laptop. What, what privacy risks did that create? Oh, you know, first of all, I have to tell you, it's like it's like those old World War, World War II movies where you hear the submarine, the Ruga, Aruga, <laughs> all hands on deck. Dive, we, dive. <laughs> dive, dive. It, you know, I think things got quiet for some people because they had to stay home for a bit. Things got very noisy and busy in IT. And we had 7 a.m. stand-up meetings to try to figure this issue out. Everything from not everybody has laptops, so how do we make people... Envir their environment uh, uh, work worthy to how do we make that work with privacy and security and all the rest of it in play and you know it was we provisioned as many laptops as we could we got virtual private networks going so we could have a safe and secure connection to our internal systems uh, we had to help people figure out what does your personal computer look like and is it up to speed just to handle uh, you know, the, the, the high speed internet and oh my goodness how many other people in your house are trying to do video conferencing so from a privacy and security point of view, it suddenly became, how do we do the thing we do very infrequently all the time? And what I mean by that is working from home, very infrequent for city of Seattle folks. Maybe working remotely, depending on the kind of job you have, but working from home, not so much. So we had to pivot on a dime. And the good news was that we had been uh, uh, piloting Teams, which is a Microsoft product to allow for online collaboration. So we we had we were ready to launch, just just not that quickly. So Eric, it was how do you how do you turn on a dime at the city of Seattle and get people provisioned within a couple of weeks and, and go yeah. to nine thousand RPM? Yeah, no problem. Yeah, exactly. And be ready for those, uh, you know, meetings that keep you going and keep you connected. Um, so, you know, high speed inter internet, how do we handle multiple video meetings coming out of a house? I still think I haven't got that one down well, in my I, house. I, I think Netflix entered <laughs> into that equation. Also. Right, right. Uh, making sure people were up, and up to speed on the latest version of software for their home computer. A lot of us get a little lazy about that. What about malware? Are you doing the latest version of whatever? How do we help you make sure that's happening? And then there was the creating and retaining of city records. If you're using your own computing system, suddenly we have a records management problem. And not only do I handle privacy, my division also has the public records program, open data, data compliance. I have a lot of other things that I look at. So we were suddenly having to change a home environment to a workplace environment and helping people who were maybe perhaps not as aware of, of what SharePoint was doing for them as they're online and, yeah. and saving things to the cloud. What does that mean when you're on your home computer? Um, when, when, when did all this, you just yeah. mentioned a series of things, privacy yeah. being part of it, but the records retention, all that, yeah. when did that really 
dig in from a time element approximately. I mean, it well, we've, wasn't from the very beginning. I know that. Right. Uh, you mean from the COVID experience or just at the no, city? No, really? just oh. in general. Um, you know, our city clerk has been diligently working on awareness and requirements. We have a requirement for how long we retain different data elements, and they have been there always. Since about 2014, we've had a public records program, a citywide public records program to help our public dis disclosure officers. And so I, you might go back to 2014 in terms of we need to do this better. How do we do it? Council provisioned some funds, and we stood up a program uh, in another department. And that department came to me uh, a year ago, January. So it came to me in the middle of uh, a pandemic. Uh, which, you know, thank you. Thank you for that. And I had to hire people and do a whole bunch of things that, you know, were new to me. But uh, I think the city has always been paid very close attention to records. But as we've gone to this mobile environment, shifting that awareness has become more important than ever. It's no longer like, oh, the clerk will handle that or, oh, the SharePoint IT people will make sure I do what I need to do. And I will add, mobile devices. These mobile phones have also increased our footprint and our scope of responsibility and accountability around records. So um, I would say it's gone exponential in the last five years, certainly pre-COVID, let's say that. Right, right. right. <laughs> yeah. Well, here, I'll give you one tip for all this, what yeah. you're doing. I'll, I'll give you an example maybe you can use when you're sure. out there talking about this. I, I had a, another guest on previously, and we were talking about uh, disaster events and the mm. documentation, all of it that's collected in order to get mm -hmm. uh, some uh, compensation from the Federal Emergency Management Agency as mm. post-disaster and all that. And uh, the retention for that is a minimum of seven years. Oh yeah. And so when the, the FEMA, IG, mm. Inspector General comes back, a lot of times it's called the clawback <laughs> type thing. And if you can't produce the documentation, you got to give the money back. And so oh, this whole records thing, I, mm -hmm. I know when I was in county government, we did it, administrative assistant would do it. Generally, it was all paper. Then I'm just thinking, boy, you, yep. you'd have to be pretty diligent about actually doing it and then being able to retrieve it. Oh, absolutely. That's a big deal. It's one thing to collect it, then <laughs> you got to yep. find it. Now, what do you do with it, depending on who's asking? Absolutely, there's you know public records requests, there's litigation, all kinds of reasons. Um, so absolutely. And then I can add just this whole environment has shifted because no longer are you in your office or in your cubicle managing your own world. You got family members, you've got vulnerabilities that increase with, oh, this is also the machine I, I do my social media on. And what links am I hitting there that might compromise what I'm doing? So back to your original question, what were we doing? In, in imagining turning your work, your home into your workplace and all of the, the complications that that ensued. Yeah. Still working through some of those, Eric, don't tell me. Did, did you do any, I'm trying to think, uh, term, I guess yeah, I'd call it just in time training for yeah. the privacy aspect of it or security. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, you know, it's funny you say that we, we very quickly produce documentation to help train and bring awareness to folks about what, what does this new environment mean? And my team uh, turned into trainers. Actually, it was all hands on deck. Anybody got time? We're going to go do awareness training and white glove uh, training for people on teams to understand where their data ought to be and how they manage it. And that was that was huge. I mean, I had members of my team who don't normally do that kind of thing uh, and members all across IT, we all became trainers. And um, you're right on, that's exactly what had to happen because what, what was, yeah, once a year we have annual privacy and, and security training and everybody knew that was sort of important. Suddenly like, no, this is like 
you know, really important. And I have to understand the, the management of records and what I'm creating and which device I'm creating this on, uh, overcoming some of those issues and even giving little training to families. So they understood, you know, when mom and dad are on with the city systems, we, we have to be respectful of what those systems are. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, but you know, what you're making me do is go back in my brain uh, about, I do a lot of different things, but I, I had a podcast on where it's, it's a, a commercial vendor located mm. in Spokane. I want to say it's Drift 7 is the name of the company. And the you know, CEO is a woman and she's terrific about talking about what's it take to mm -hmm. have this cybersecurity um, inculcated, if that's the right word, yeah. into everything. Yeah. And her point, I'll, I'll link you two up. I'll send you the podcast I recommend to you that you know, you can't make it an annual event. I mean, it's no. kind of like, you know, getting your vaccination mm -hmm. and you're done. Well, you really aren't done. You just got, you know. Yeah. Well, and we're going to continue to have people working from home. And I don't think we're going back immediately, maybe someday. But I right now, I think this is going to be an ongoing thing. And so understanding that new environment, this new hybrid environment will be ongoingly important for everyone. Okay. Were there any particular cyber threats that popped up out of this? Whole, and, and and I know we're going back in time from yeah. where really it's almost two years ago. It was two years ago. I think we saw different kind of phishing attacks. I think there were phishing attacks around COVID information, phishing attacks about finance. And I, I just think there was a, you know, the, the cyber criminals got quickly aware of what were the hooks that might work for, for folks. Uh, and I believe, I think we saw an uptick uh, in those hitting our workplace. Um, so, you know, when work and home start to meld together, it becomes <laughs> an interesting environment. And I think we also were seeing ransomware didn't slow down. Uh, ransomware attacks were continuing to go on and still continue to go on. So really, nothing really changed. I just think the vectors maybe. And um, and as people were at home with that melding of environments, which system am I on now? Oh, am I on my city system looking at Facebook? Probably shouldn't be doing that, right? Reminders about what's appropriate for work time. We even saw people streaming movies. Now, I don't want to say they did that on purpose or in great batches, but we had to remind people yeah, that, that's right. no, that, you know, work and play, let's keep these separate um, for, for all the reasons we know for cybersecurity. So... Yeah, no, I don't. I don't know if you were around for when the internet was ruled out. I, I was working <laughs> in King County, and it was, oh no, no, yeah, only public <laughs> information officers can use the internet. Oh yeah, and yeah. Uh, that's probably around two thousand one, two thousand two. Wow! And just imagine now today saying, Couldn't well, do no it. one can use the internet, <laughs> right? But it's, it's a lot of self-discipline. I think you just mm -hmm. that it starts really there. Yeah, and the reminders of the implications. And if you get your computer messed up, yeah. you know, we have we have a service desk, but it's not as easy to bring that computer in to get it fixed if something goes wrong. So really a reminder of people to be, you know, the hygiene, the stewardship, all those things become more important when you're a little bit more on your own. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm going to fast forward. This isn't a question that we talked about, but mm -hmm. I, one of the surprises I've had out of... Um, the whole Ukraine, Russian invasion, stuff mm -hmm. like that. Uh, uh, there's been a drumbeat, especially in the last 10 to 14 days. Even the president mentioned, look out, cyber threats, mm -hmm. infrastructure, uh, we aren't through this, da 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 And 
but we haven't seen anything public where a water system went down or um, like on the East Coast, the Colonial Pipeline, you know, being mm -hmm. shut down, a ransomware attack from that standpoint. Mm -hmm. um, but then I heard a large utility speak the other day and say that, uh, well, they haven't been shut down. They have seen many more attacks that they've been able to mm -hmm. send off. Have, have you guys seen an uptick in since the Ukrainian war started? Since that's happened, I know there's been an increase in discussions with the Fed, Fed level to support critical infrastructure at this level, at the municipal yeah. level. So I know that there have been a uh, all hands on deck uh, threat levels <laughs> yeah, right, uh, and to be on right. alert because you just don't know. And I think what we do know is that uh, war now seems to involve cyber attacks in advance to try to uh, foment disruption. And I think we right. need to expect that. It is hard to tease apart kind of what's the daily, because I'll tell you when I was under Michael Hamilton, I think I was the one doing the reports on how many cyber attacks we had on our systems. I remember something like 10,000 attacks a week. And I'm sure it's gone much higher than that in terms of real targeted phishing and malware, you know, all the things that people are trying to do. Um, I, I can't say I don't have those numbers in front of me now, but I can tell you that the attention to it is is universal. While at one time, Eric, you might remember these days when it was just this chief information security officer and maybe the IT folks worried about it. Everyone pays attention now. And I do think it's because not only the disruption of critical infrastructure, but ransomware costs a lot of money. That gets the business people very focused. I, I remember the, the days before we had a chief information yeah. security officer. <laughs> right? And it wasn't right. the stone tablet, but it was close to that, right? Right, um, right, right. Standpoint. And you know, it's funny you mentioned uh, Mike Hamilton. Uh, on a totally separate thing, we're working on election security workshop yeah. for elected officials, and he's been part of our panel helping us develop oh, what we should cover and talk about. So he's he's, he's terrific, and and he certainly has that perspective. He was there in the trenches in the very beginning when there was him, a deputy chief information security officer, and about four interns, and that was the department that was managing it for the city. That has since grown to be something like eighteen to twenty people. Yeah, uh, you know, taking on what the world looks like now. So he got that started. Um, well, yeah. The, the, the meaning of inbox changed radically during that period. Right? Didn't it though? I, I relish the day when you'd walk in and see three pieces of paper. Oh, that was in an inbox. Oh, real yeah, one. Why do we call it an inbox? Well, let me explain to you. On this. Um, so I, I'm thinking, I, I mentioned, and you, you talked about public records uh, implications for staff. What would you... I, like me, I, I said, okay, um, my person was Melody, and she handled it for mm -hmm. King County Office of Emergency Management and, you know, worked with mm -hmm. the appropriate people. What would you tell the managers out there about paying attention to this? Do they just delegate like I did? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and certainly now it's much more electronic. What would mm -hmm. you tell managers that they should be doing to ensure due diligence from a leadership standpoint? From, from public records, from the government point of view, municipal point of view, um, that the requests we get now are not the give me my records or I want to know about this project. They are the give me any and all emails associated with, say, vaccines. Give me any and all emails associated with, you know, name an issue. So that we are looking through millions of records. We are so online now that 
this has gone beyond having uh, maybe somebody with administrative background who also does your scheduling and manages the office. This has gone into uh, requiring people to really understand some complex electronic discovery and systems designed for that so that uh, when you hire in somebody into that position, it's not a, oh, by the way, do that part-time, depending on your size and complexity. But yeah. most of the departments we have require full-time, well-trained, uh, well-supported staff, because the, the, the expectation is if you create a record, we, I should be able to ask for it. And certainly in the state of Washington, we don't have a whole lot to hold back. Our public records law is pretty open. So we have 70 or so 70 plus public records officers and 38 departments across the city. And we have a staff of five that support them from a, from a systems point of view and a training point of view. Um, I, it, are those people all full-time? The, the people on my team are, the, the people, the 70 across the city know we have people that are part-time, some are managers, some are half-time, some have other right. duties as assigned, some are public information officers. Right. And that's when we run into issues because uh, you know, we have departments that, that kind of tootle along with maybe five requests a year and some issue happens and suddenly they're getting 50 to 100. And how do we support that? So I guess I would say to managers, it is a real discipline. It's no longer kind of an add on the technology required to find records now and to be responsive to those records uh, has gone exponential. I think I read something about 300, 300 some all percent increase in the last few years in the number of records and the complexity of the requests. Okay. So it's a lot <laughs> and it, it needs support. And actually I should probably, uh, on some of my computers above my monitor, it, it, I should have written, I'm not in the public domain yeah. Majority is have a thing. Remember, Eric, everything you say in a email is discoverable. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and we, I, we come at it. We, 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 our training is if you say it or write it down, you should expect it to be on the front page of the paper. And that's how you should come at every record you create and be aware that not only should you retain it in case somebody wants it on the front page of the paper, but yeah. be aware of what you're yeah. saying so that you're not you know, your, your reputation stays where you want it to be. Um, yeah. We say the same too, now that we have these mobile devices, I'm, I'm holding up my phone right now. Uh -huh. yeah. Now that Fair we have enough. these devices, yeah. we're creating records of all kinds all the time and text messages are, are, are really an issue. And so that's what we're addressing right now at the city is uh, mobile device management so that we can make sure that we're retaining everything we create. Uh, we got caught on that last year, as you know, and uh, that is, that is something- caught on that, that you didn't have the retention? Yeah, we had some text messages that went missing and we're in litigation now over that issue uh, uh, at some of our important departments, including the mayor's office. And so that's ongoing. I can't really speak too much to it, except to say, I think everyone now realizes the importance and, and the personal responsibility we have. It's not just, oh, I, it's on my computer. Somebody should be able to find it. It's I created a record. I need to be aware of how that how that is needing to be handled. And certainly with our mobile devices, you can't just delete stuff. You know, you have the responsibility uh, to retain that information. So we're trying to help from a systems point of view, make sure that happens. Uh, but, but, but I think that's where the awareness comes in. And, um, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, sometimes we're reactive at the city, things happen and we, and we get smart maybe afterwards. This is one where we're taking it on as a, as a, a you know, records have been front page and, and they need to be, and they need to be uh, treated as such. So, um, well, yeah, I, I, I can tell you if the city is uh, reactive, American society in general is reactive. <laughs> That's right. We, we don't do anything in particular about disasters until, oh, <laughs> I didn't realize that could happen. Really? <laughs> oh, the earthquake we've been telling you about for, uh, you know, 50 yeah. years. Oh, really? really? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Well, that, 
yeah, we're almost halfway through there, uh, Ginger. And so right. we're going to take a minute and uh, have this message from one of the Disaster Zone podcast sponsors, and then we'll be right back. Most organizations have access to incredibly powerful technologies, but struggle to use them to their full potential. Bent Ears team of experienced technology and operations professionals systematically help organizations get the most out of the technology they already own. You can find them at www.bentearsolutions.com. And we are back, and today's guest is Ginger Armbruster, Chief Privacy Officer for the City of Seattle. We've been talking about privacy, uh, records, open records, um, and uh, uh, cybersecurity in general, just a whole automated world that, that we live in from that. Mm -hmm. So what, um, Ginger, it's nothing static. And so mm -hmm. <laughs> we, we live in this very dynamic well, you got federal regulation, you've got, you know, state regulation, perhaps. I don't know if that happens mm -hmm. there. Certainly city establishes policies. And what, what's happening from a policy perspective when it comes uh, to protecting privacy and data on the national Washington state municipal levels? What, Certainly. What's happening now? Well, the national level, I think we, we keep getting stymied. We have, we have supporters in the national level who are looking to standards like the General Data Protection Act in Europe, GDPR. Um, that's become a de facto standard for the consumer world because we haven't established that our, on our own. So, you know, the federal level, it would be great if we could get together and have a data privacy standard, but that, that I think is, is still not something we're, we're looking to in the short term, but the state level, I think there was something like 25 or so laws proposed in this last legislative session. I'm not sure where they all landed, to be honest, uh, on all manner of issues. I know that the, the state law, uh, state legislation, they've looked at algorithmic bias, facial recognition, biometrics, use of biometrics. Uh, largely, those are on the consumer level. But data protection from, from the perspective of, you know, how do we protect citizen consumer privacy. Uh, a lot of that hasn't really landed on in the government space. Um, so in the governments, what we've seen the municipal uh, level and what I when I talk to other folks who are starting programs across the country at the city level, a lot of that has to do with surveillance and concerns about data equity and ethics about how we use technology to surveil and or track individuals. And so we have a surveillance ordinance here at the city. I think that that, that idea of surveillance and how we use data has broadened in scope. And I think the trend in the last year or so has been to look at data ethics, not just what can you do, but what should we be doing? As we collect all this data in the course of providing services for, for the citizens of, or the residents of the city, how do we how do we, what, who should we be doing business with and how should we be doing that, dealing with that data? We have a series of six privacy principles at the city that include everything from security to telling you how we share data and who we, how we use it. But it's that idea that it's beyond privacy. It's kind of gotten into what represents our values and ethics. And that's what I seek happening. So I, I mentioned to you that I have all these other departments that I am responsible for. And I think it's about public trust, but also about transparency. Mm -hmm. And so- well, you, you took the words out of my brain and <laughs> both of those two things was transparency and yeah. trust. So what I was thinking of before, I couldn't think of it, so I didn't make myself sound stupid by saying, hmm, what was it I was thinking about? Was, you know, when you have a gap in records in the mayor's yeah. office, as you described, yeah. that, that oozes mistrust. 
in people. Oh, and, absolutely. And, and, and this connection between what you were yeah. going to just talk about, transparency and trust. Yeah, so our open data program is all about what, what, what are we sharing for entrepreneurial and academic and just transparency reasons? How does the government spend money and what decisions and policy making happen so I can know about that? And our open data program uh, helps address that. We're getting uh, a new platform that's just gone in that's going to help us be even better at that and have a better user interface. But um, that, I think- that, a, a software yeah. type solution? Yeah, it's Tyler Technology. Socrata is the, is the name and it's a government cloud solution that uh, is available. And I wish I had the URL, but I don't. But <laughs> it's if you say well, Open Data me, City of send me Send me the URL. I'll, I'll sell you the URL. Oh yeah, Open Data City of Seattle. You will you will find our portal, and basically you can you can request any of the data that's on that site. And we're looking to grow that by by leaps and bounds so that data is made available for folks. Uh, we also want to link that to a certain extent to our public records program. Wouldn't it be nice if if some of the data people ask for you know, on an individual basis might be available on Open Data? So we're we're trying to be as transparent as we can with that data. Uh, that we create. So, you know, public trust by the tr through transparency, but public trust about stewardship's data also. How are we sharing that? Who are we sharing it with? What are we yeah. collecting? How do we minimize data collection? Um, yeah. that, that's all part of our privacy review process for any new program or technology or software that's acquired at the city. It goes through that yeah. rigor. Well, how about, yeah. how about the, I call, I'll call it the yin and yang between transparency and privacy. Right. What, oh, what? Ex exactly. That's why I think it's so funny. It's on my team because I started off privacy. Right. I'm like, oh, and transparency. Well, you know, it's transparency with with uh, accountability. I mean, it's you know, I think what people need to understand is we collect a lot of data about individuals. And so I am very invested in this program is invested in protecting that information, making sure it's used appropriately and made available as appropriate. Open data is about the data we collect and making it available, but then we have to be cautious because a lot of that data, as I just said, is about individuals. So how do we protect the privacy of individuals by, be, by still being transparent about what we do and how, how we operate? So it's a dance. Uh, it's, a, it's a conversation. It's an ongoing business versus risk versus uh, the obligations and commitments we make. But the underlying all of this is cybersecurity and none of it is available without making sure that the data that is confidential or confidential we call with special handling with regulatory requirements over it are handled appropriately, categorized appropriately and used yeah. appropriately. So I call it in my day job at the Pacific Northwest Economic Region Center for Regional Disaster Resilience it just rolls off the tongue. Rolls off and, the tongue. Uh, did for me right then. And <laughs> Oh, we're trying, we're doing a maritime project and we were trying to arrange a tour of a naval reserve ship. And one of the requests for the tour was, we need the social security numbers for everybody who's going to do the tour. And we said, nope, we're not getting into that business at all. People don't want to provide it anymore. Everybody's right. hypersensitive to it. And then, then we're retaining it and where do we put it? And uh, you know, mm -hmm. what if these other folks are hacked and, and, and all that, but. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. By the way, the URL, URL came to me and I did, I, I'm going to make it available to you anyway, but it's data.seattle.gov. And that's the open data portal for the city. Uh, for anyone who wants to see what data is on there and go check it out. Okay. So, um, how about this whole issue of third-party vendors? It's, it's really mm -hmm. Achilles heel on mm -hmm. any numbers of issue perspective cybersecurity one then it, it oozes into the privacy piece that you were yeah about. so what are you doing to try and manage yeah. that 
Well, we have worked closely with our contracting folks to make sure that data privacy, data ownership is really what you come down to. It's about data ownership when you're dealing with third parties uh, is included in our contract, you know, clauses that are included in our contracts, not only for the information technology department, but across the city for anybody that touches uh, a solution that will be collecting data. But it kind of goes beyond that. We also, um, when we have consultants that work for the city, uh, we get very specific about what devices are allowed on, uh, whether we provide our own equipment so that we don't have to be concerned about devices that may or may not be up to our standard. Um, background checks for people that come in and are working on our sensitive systems. And then the big Achilles heel, I think, are subcontractors. You can make a deal with any third party you want, but you have to be very clear about what subcontractors are bringing in. And we have gotten caught on that a couple of times. People brought in that don't work to the same standards, who's responsible if something goes wrong, uh, who's accountable uh, when the product is or is not whatever the development project does or does not happen appropriately. So understanding background checks for those subcontractors, what, does the, what is the third party doing to ensure that the appropriate uh, background checks are being completed? So it's being pretty thorough about that. And we have some absolutely terrific contracts people at the city. Um, I, there's one individual, Don Barron, I'm going to say his name, he is, he is awesome at this, uh, working on those agreements and making sure those contracts are appropriate. And often I think what you run into is that you'll be, as a municipality, you'll be asked to accept the contract from the vendor, and that is often not to your best interest, but having somebody go in and redline that contract to ensure when possible and, and whenever possible that your own uh, requirements are included in that contract because you got to remember vendors are going to optimize their own situation that's kind of what we all do but you want to make sure your interests are being uh, uh, addressed in terms of you know background checks and accountability and delivery dates and you know all those normal things but also data access data ownership data accountability okay and yeah i have to give compliments to city of sale again this is I'm starting to measure time in decades. So it, 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 you know, almost two decades ago, but we were city CL and King County Office of Emergency Management, um, my counterparts there, we were looking at what type of uh, incident management software we, we use. Mm, mm -hmm. And um, on the sales side, there was enough wisdom back then to say, well, why don't we have our cybersecurity people take a look at this software? And what right. they found is there was no security. It was designed. Yeah. Again, this is some time ago. It yeah. was designed for functionality, not with security in mind. Yep. Uh, so, and that has been fixed uh, for that that particular company, and we, you know, we didn't buy it until it was fixed from that standpoint. Mm -hmm. But um, have you seen now? People are designing things. Uh, you know, security came in as an afterthought instead mm -hmm. of the ground floor and software. Have you seen where? you're building up your vendors that, that they start with cybersecurity and then they design the system. Uh, absolutely, and I, and I think that we are much more aware when we are doing a, a, our reviews for compliance for all of the new things people wanna bring in. There's a cybersecurity vulnerability, uh, depending on what this thing does and, and what data it accesses, uh, but those kinds of reviews that can get very lengthy looking for risk. 
um, and ensuring the uh, standards uh, that developers and, and vendors are adhering to so that we know that there's a baseline uh, of security standard. And then on top of that, looking at things like payment card information security standards, if we're dealing with payment cards and credit cards, um, utilities have their own version of data security requirements from a regulatory point of view. So we have individuals looking at all aspects and it can be really frustrating from a customer or client by this, I mean departments trying to get work done to have to go through those processes. We try to make them as painless as possible, but it's just not worth not doing that due diligence and having something catastrophic happen because for some reason we allowed a vendor in who wasn't doing their due diligence. We have a different level of responsibility to the residents of the city and the data we collect about them. So um, we try to have, we try to do that quickly. I'm sure there's people listening going, oh, but Ginger, you took two weeks one time. <laughs> um, sometimes it takes a while. And, it, and, it, and it's really interesting because especially when we get into development projects, sometimes projects change in scope and they change in, in data that's collected. Oh, wouldn't it be nice if we also collected socials? Boy, that would be really great. That would give us this whole other aspect. Well, okay, but let's talk about what that does when we yeah. add these you know, confidential pieces of information, it might change what we need to do around encryption or, so, um, you know, iterative, iteratively, if it's something that's not off the shelf and we're developing it, we work closely with vendors and making sure we're not dealing with um, folks that don't have those best interests in mind. And this comes up with smart city stuff. There's a lot of entrepreneurialism going on, entrepreneurialism going on with um, uh, smart city technology. And we have to be cautious because the functionality may come before the security. Well, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 you know, followed the news. Seattle is hyper, I think, as a culture for the citizens mm -hmm. of Seattle, hypersensitive on uh, privacy. So I'm thinking about license plate readers. Oh, yeah. Oh, an yeah. Issue. Um, oh, yeah. And while you, any, you expect to walk into a convenience store like 7-Eleven and you're going to be uh, you mm -hmm. know, you're on candid camera there, that there's a sensitivity about capturing uh, someone's uh, image on video, yeah. uh, even in a public setting. So I, yeah. I, I've had uh, oh, the chief photographer, King TV, NBC mm. affiliate, talk about, well, the, their use of drones mm. as a mm -hmm. topic. Mm -hmm. And they, he said, well, there's expectation of privacy, but in a public environment, you mm -hmm. can do that from their perspective. How about, how about just expounding that? I'm sure you've had these sure. discussions. Absolutely. City, the privacy aspect. And then yeah. you know, what's different between public, private, and privacy. I, I have a funny story to tell and I will not I will not share names, but it was funny in drawing a a, a picture for you of the difference between our trust level and the, in the in, and what we're allowed what we will do in the private sector and how we feel about you know government doing the same thing. We had some individuals who are highly involved with private uh, with with privacy, and they were very involved in our privacy program and and very vocal about data being collected. And I remember there was a concern about uh, some some. Uh, devices that were around the city uh, that um, identified phones and it was used for um, well, used for a variety of things. But it, it was used be, for parking. It lot. doesn't even matter, right? It, does, it could yeah. be anything. Anyway, the individuals that were expressing their concern, and I think this was on the front page, were wearing Google glasses, if you remember what those were. And those Google yeah. glasses would take in everything you looked at, and it was designed to look where you were looking to try to market whatever it is you were doing, right? Taking in lots of information about your person and where you were. That was okay on the consumer level. But the concern they were voicing was what we were collecting at the government level, which was much, much less, much less invasive. But, you know, it's the perception. And, and our trust level. So I think um, we have a surveillance ordinance in place that looks at things like drones, it looks at things like um, 
camera use, we make sure there's signage everywhere. If you're at Seattle Center and you'll see the signs that say there is a, there's a security camera in place, that's because we have a surveillance ordinance. We want no surprises. And we do that for security. We do that for uh, security of the patrons there. Um, uh, we don't have CCTV around the city that, that gathers and collects information that we can go back to later. They do have that in Europe. We don't have it here. And a lot of that is because of appetite around surveillance. So I, I believe that is an ongoing, ongoing bit of work to make sure that we are being accountable and open as much as we can about what we're doing around that kind of public safety. And um, but it is good to remember what happens in the private sector can often be much more invasive and intrusive. And so be aware of the differences of what you may be walking into. You walk into, you know, one of our department stores, they're watching, <laughs> yeah. right? All the time. Yeah. 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 And I think the, whether it's Google Glass or other solutions, it, that's yeah. going to become much more commonplace in Oh. A variety of different ways. However, and what, and what your phone, yeah, my husband always wants me to have uh, location services on in case he's trying to like, where are you and can you help me with something? I'm like, honey, I just don't put that on all the time. And the reason I don't is that location services are a common tracking method, which can be useful for the applications that you're using, but just be aware, a lot of information is being collected about you as you wander around with your location services open. So, you know, there are, there are things for people to be aware of that we just don't even think about. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, now, Let's get down to the nitty gritty level that's really important. And that, that's me. <laughs> I'm very important. And, and the listeners to hear. There you go. There you go. What, what are the simple things yeah. that each of us can do personally to protect our own privacy when it comes mm -hmm. to being online or now, you know, you're kind of online all the time, sort of. Speaking, are we? As yeah. you just described with your phone and location service. Yeah. So what? What should we be thinking about? Uh, there's lots of things to think about. And you know what's interesting, Eric, people of all different generations will answer this differently about what they're, what's acceptable and what's, what's not acceptable. And I often, when I talk to people about privacy and I'm doing an awareness, I'll, ask, I'll write down all kinds of data elements, things like financial information, your kids' pictures, your personal your privacy, like in a, in a locker room. I'll write down all these data elements and say, rank those in, in, in order of importance. And everyone will have a different ranking, which is the point. Everyone has a different idea about what's my personal information, but in general, be aware of privacy policies and options. Unsubscribe from stuff you don't want to be a part of. When your phone asks you to share photos because some, some site wants to know about your photos or an application, think about that. Do I want all my photos to be scooped up by whatever application is asking? I usually say no. Why would I share my photos? You don't need to know that. Um, you can decrease your exposure and you know public access on social media. Go into those settings and figure them out and decide what's important to you. Probably you don't need the, all members of the public to see all of your postings. You probably want to you know tamper that down to the people that are important to you. Because remember, telling people you're on vacation and knowing what that time frame is also tells yeah. a lot of people when to go to your uh, house and, and go steal uh, your stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, you know I use LinkedIn primarily and Twitter yeah. and all that, but we we did a European vacation for. Mm -hmm. Uh, major anniversary we had and I said well I'm not going to put anything yeah. out there on social media because not if afterwards. they're, no one if they're on the Rhine River they can't be home you know and those are those are things I think a lot of people are aware of but just you know there are phishing and spear phishing attacks to know about just if you don't know what that is look it up those are ways that people try to do social engineering to get you to yeah. give up your credentials right um and, and the thing that we have to make people aware, make your make all of your older relatives and your younger relatives and everyone who's sort of literate online know that no legitimate company will ever say, you've got to give me your credentials or you're going to get cut off in the next 20. Nobody does that. Nobody's doing it. 
The IRS doesn't do it. Nobody, your bank isn't doing it. Always question if it doesn't make sense. And then I think um, never use free Wi-Fi for things like banking. Like if you're in some location and they got the free Wi-Fi, assume people are watching and looking for your credentials and trying to steal them. So don't go off to your favorite coffee shop and start doing banking or start sharing, you know, logging on to your, your, your personal info. Um, I'm holding up my hotspot. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. Which, you know, I ride the Sounder train and yeah. they provide free white truck. I was at the yep. car dealership, get new tires for my wife's car today. And the guy said, oh, and I'm always working. And yeah. so the guy, oh, you just come here. The Wi-Fi must really be good. I said, no, I use my hotspot. Good for you. And that's it. That's it. I have to pay a bit, but I figure hey, it's Do it. one less vulnerability. Yep. One less vulnerability. I I know somebody. Uh, he, he, I don't know if he's there any longer at the University of Washington. He didn't. He didn't do any online anything. He, he had one credit card because he knew he needed to use it when he booked into a hotel. But uh, you know, you, you can pick somewhere between that and and what you're comfortable with. But I think being aware and not just throwing up your hands. I think a lot of people feel like, oh, privacy is over. Why do I care? You care. Trust me, you care. Every time you make a choice about where your data goes, you're protecting yourself from identity theft and from yeah. fraud and all those other things. Um, well, it's interesting you know, on that. Um, uh, China in particular is a mm-hmm. data hog. What they're looking for is data that they want your health mm-hmm. data. Not so much for you, but they're tracking Americans yeah. as a group. You know, where is diabetes disease, mm-hmm. whatever, because they can, through misinformation, disinformation, message you all these things in the future or sell services to the United States based on they have this. Uh, That's a very good point. So. That's a very good point. And then I would pass on to other people. Password managers and two-factor authentication may sound like something out of, you know, what is that? Look it up. Understand that password managers make it so that that one password you use everywhere won't open you up should someone crack that code and get I, into all your stuff. I have uh, stayed away from those. I, 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 people, have, I just, uh, it seems it's Check like- it out. And consider it. And also, you know, some of your some of your most favorite sites, Amazon does this. I know my banking one does this. We'll do two-factor authentication. And that means they'll say, hey, give me your phone number also so that we can ask questions when you log on and make sure it's really you. Yeah. So there's little things you can do to expand your horizon. But I think the biggest one I would say, especially to people who are not computer literate, this happened a lot to my mother-in-law. She would fall every time for those Microsoft, you got to upgrade or everything's going to come to a crashing end. Give me your credentials. And we'd have yeah. to undo it. So it just looks so real. Like I know anytime anything makes you feel like I got to do it immediately or the yeah. sky's going to fall, that's probably your cue. Something's not right. Do not give up your info. Yeah. They're, they're much better now. The logos mm-hmm. don't look like a copy. I always say, look at the, um, the URL and is yep. hover. not spelled yep. right or something. Yeah. Hover over it. Do not click. Do not click anything. Never, never click the links, but hover it over it with your mouse. Or if it just looks funny, leave it alone. Your bank will never require that. The IRS doesn't. You're, nobody will. Oh, the other thing I think I would also say, I was at the dentist the other day and I overheard them say, oh, send us your credit card over email. And I about jumped out of my seat. Courts wasn't my business, but I did it anyway. Don't send your confidential information over email. Email is not a secure way to do that unless you encrypt it. And, and, and if that's a word you don't want to get involved in, just know, do not send your social, your payment card information, anything anything confidential. And if it is your doctor asking for it, bring in a piece of paper instead. Don't. Right. Not everyone is aware of the fact that email is not a secure way to send that information. And if somebody cracks yeah, yeah. into your email, think of all the stuff they could scoop up. Are you familiar with the Mephisto uh, shoe company? 
Oh, no. I, they're very nice shoes. Very but this, yeah, I know them. Yeah, and they, yeah. They were sending me a replacement pair because uh, da, 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 da. screwed yeah. them up. And I did give them my credit card <laughs> via email. <laughs> well, so, there you go. Things happen. Things happen. Yeah. I will tell you what we're doing at the at the city of Seattle over that. We are trying to automate privacy. And one of the ways we're doing that is with a program called Data Loss Prevention. It's a product from Microsoft. What it allows us to do is if somebody sends us a credit card, hey, I'd like to reserve that uh, you know, site over in this park, going through Parks and Rec, we can say, uh, we're encrypting this. We don't want your credit card information because if somebody breaks into our system, you're exposed. So we're we're doing that with social security numbers, all kinds of confidential and special handling type information. And we're implementing that this year so that we can start to automate and protect everybody from that kind of data. Yeah. You know, I, I and unfortunately, like I can tell you, like on uh, Comcast Xfinity, mm. you can save $10 a month by signing up for automatic withdrawal, which I mean, mm. I have to give my... <laughs> credit card, which I did, you know, $120. But a, a lot of those things, you know, I order something. Do you, do you want us to save your credit card information? No, no, I, I don't <laughs> want to save it. I'll keep giving it to you when you need it. And, and, and it's good to know what the rules are. Sometimes that information is only being saved on your own device. You may choose to do that, but uh, absolutely you want to be aware of the policies and choices you're making. And often we do that for convenience, Eric, and it might be just fine, but it's also, it's good to question. And, you know, nobody wants to read those privacy policies that go on for pages and pages. Oh. <laughs> get, get the short version, at least look at your options for how you can have your data used or not used. And, and they're getting better at giving you the short version. I don't, don't share my data. That's a good link to it. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, I, you know, we talked beforehand, um, just you know, well, how long should the podcast have? Well, we're going to turn into a pumpkin here, Ginger. So I hear I'm you. cutting you off. Oh, <laughs> oh, so much more to say, but Eric, I appreciate that. This has been really fun and interesting to speak to you about this, and I appreciate you having me on. Well, for everyone, I just want to say thank you, Ginger and Brewster, for being a guest here, and I hope everyone listening today is now more aware of the connection between cybersecurity, privacy, and your shoe store asking for your. Um, <laughs> credit card and your dentist on email so yeah uh, you know i guess whatever the shame on me shame on you know whatever i'll, I'll not try not to do that again but really what can we protect our personal and organizational information and i always say if 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 a transparency is a value mm -hmm. uh, make sure that you can be convicted in a court of law for being transparent well and now a reminder everyone be proactive think about what you can do today to become better prepared for the next disaster or cybersecurity event and if you like this disaster zone podcast please share it with your email and social media contacts thanks for listening be safe and be cyber aware tune in again soon for more information on all aspects of disasters you can also check out the Disaster Zone blog at www.disaster-zone.com.